Uh, how would Jesus react? Principles of biblical advocacy for sexual assault victims. Um, and I will be your presenter today. That's my, thank you, thank you. That's my emceeing. I'm done. Okay, so my name is Bethany Becker. Um, I live in Cincinnati and attend People's Church. Oh, yay! Bethel! Yes. <laughs> okay, so I go to People's Church Uptown. Um, we live in Fairfield. Um, this is, you know, I always try to do an introduction, <laughs> but I feel like, what do you say to get you to trust me? Um, so I'll just give you some interesting facts about myself. One, favorite thing in the world, tiny dogs. If you guys have puppy videos, feel free to send them. Um, I just discovered TikTok, which is full of puppy videos. And I know I'm the stereotypical, like, I'm almost 40 and here I am on TikTok, but whatever. I love the chihuahuas. Um, number two, hate bananas. Never have been able to get into bananas. Number three, I only have two interesting things about me. <laughs> so... Hi, welcome, welcome. Hello. Please don't feel awkward. I'm glad you're coming in. Hi. All you missed was me being awkward. Oh, saying really sorry. It'll continue anyway, so. <laughs> it makes me feel better when you're up front. Thank you. So, okay, Bethany Becker. Um, I'm just going to pray right off the bat. That's cool with everybody. Jesus, I thank you so much for this group of women. I thank you so much for your heart on this topic. God, I pray that you would help me to stay on topic, that you would, you would show us how to advocate, that you would reveal to hearts in here how you advocate and care for women who have been victimized. God, we need you in this area, in our churches, in our small groups, in our lives, in our lives outside of the physical church. We give you this time. We ask you to speak, God. We are here to just hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hello. So, Today we're talking about sexual assault victim advocacy. I get that this can be an intimidating topic. Honestly, I'm always just overjoyed when people come to a talk like this because I know it's, it's difficult, it's dark. Um, it can be sad, it can be triggering. Um, but I've been walking through my own personal history of this uh, purposeful healing for about nine years now. And I can tell you that when you keep your eyes on Jesus, there is so much hope everywhere in this topic for advocates, for victims, for those committing um, the crime. There is hope in Jesus. And so we are going to start off a little stark and then get to Jesus, Bible, hope. There's, <laughs> there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I do just want to let you guys know that if anything hits you in here, um, I welcome reaction. I welcome, you don't have to be embarrassed about crying. No, one else, no one's going to make assumptions about you. If you need to excuse yourself for a moment, 
just take a deep breath and walk right out. I'm not going to be thinking, oh, okay, we know what's up with her, or be offended. You're, this is a safe spot to do what you need to do to process this information. Cool? So when I look back at my own journey with healing, as far as sexual assault goes, I think of how much easier that journey would have been if the people around me had understood what I was going through and understood what I needed. And so the reason this topic is important to me is because I want other people to have an easier time processing their history. Hi, you're completely Hi. fine. I just said it's fine to cry in here, come in late, leave early, oh. do whatever you want. Um, <clears throat> I want to train <laughs> first responders. We want to train advocates in how they can help victims process their own history, define their own history, move on from their own history. We want to learn how to be helpers. And my main passion is to teach people the truth about sexual assault, why it happens, what victims are experiencing, and most importantly, where is Jesus in all of this? It is the number one question that needs to be answered. So that's why this is important to me, but why is it important to leaders? Why should it be important to churches, to pastors, to those of us who are shepherding? We're going to look at some statistics, and I'm just going to jet through these kind of quick because I want to get to the Bible. But we've got to look at what the problem is before we can figure out how to solve it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, current statistics. One in five women will experience sexual assault in their lifetime. One in five. One in five girls will experience sexual assault during their high school years. That is 20% of all high schoolers, of, of female high schoolers, will experience sexual assault during those four years. One in four women will experience sexual assault during their college years. And that number is rapidly knocking on the door of one in three. Those numbers have been steadily increasing for several years. These do not include the statistics of childhood sexual abuse, and they don't include the statistics that are very hard to measure of just sexual harassment that can happen on a daily basis. So why do we care about these numbers? Because they're in our churches. They're in our small groups. They're in our youth groups. They're on our board. They're our pastors. We are here, right, as Dr. Seuss importantly wrote. <laughs> so to bridge this, and I'd like you guys to, to answer if you can, what is the number one determiner of healing for sexual assault victims? Um, Tell me about it. I was sexually assaulted by a, a girl cousin when I was 11, 12, and 13. Mm -hmm. 
and put it in a big box and put it on the back shelf. The last women's meeting we had, this came up, and I, and I took the box down, and I opened up the box and told them how it was for me and what pain it had given me. Yeah. And it's been very healing for me. So I think a good thing is for you to find someone to talk to about it. Yeah. And kind of put yourself out there to, to get that relief. Yeah. So telling someone, I think you mentioned that as well. Believing, Thank you, Jane. Believing them. Believing them. Believing the victim and, and allow, just being present as they feel their feels without judgment. <coughs> yeah. All good answers, and thank you, thank you. Um, so the number one determiner that we're finding out, it is the reaction of the first person that the victim tells. That affects the, the impact of the abuse more than what was the abuse, what age was the person, how long did they wait before they told someone, even the intimacy level of the person that committed the assault. All of those things are below the reaction of the first person that we tell. Our advocacy for victims is the number one influencing factor in their healing. That's why learning this is so important. Doubly so because as Christians, we are representing Christ in this moment. So it's important that we know how Christ would react so that we are representing him well, so that we're not helping the devil out by showing that either God is uncomfortable with this, God is blaming, or God was at fault, or perhaps the victim was at fault, and it's causing further distance between the victim and the only person that can bring true and total healing to their entire being. That's why we've got to have a biblical approach to this. So if we're going to learn about it, we need to go to the source, right? It is important to remember, if a person or an event contradicts what you read in the Bible, the person or the event was wrong. So we've got to be reading the Bible because it's always right. It should be the lens in how we interpret the world around us. This is very important if, if anyone in here has experienced sexual abuse, sexual assault, or any kind of sexual violence, and you've been met with a response of blame, immediate, well-meant but not great education, um, or punishment even, it's important that we can compare that experience with how we see Jesus treating women, treating victims, treating vulnerable people in the Bible. Because no matter who that person is, if it contradicts what we see Jesus doing, Jesus wins. He's right. And we move on and we tell someone else. 
easier said than done. I'm not saying this is easy, just check it off. Um, so we're going to be studying John 8, verses 1 through 11. I'll read it, but if you've got the text, it's going to be really helpful because we are going to go through this verse by verse. And I'm going to first read it in its entirety. But I want you guys to remember as we're reading this, if you yourself have experienced sexual abuse or sexual assault in any kind of capacity, and you tried telling someone, and they did not treat you the way that Jesus treats this woman, that person was wrong, and Jesus wants to treat you the same way that he treated this woman. He desires to help, to listen, to love. Okay? So, John 8. This is called The Woman Caught in Adultery. I don't know if you know this, but, like, these little titles are not biblical canon. Um, I personally call it Jesus Saves a Woman brought (laughs) Brought to Him by an Angry Mob of Men. Men are great. I married one, I'm raising them. I'm just saying. (laughs) Sometimes we run into them and they are not, they don't have um, the best intentions in mind. But they are, I am a fan. Huge fan. Huge fan. Okay. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the, adult, in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And here are their intentions. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, which is a huge flex. Hilarious. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. I don't know how anyone can read the Bible and say it's not funny. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. Good job, Jesus. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. A beautiful piece of scripture. Such, such a good example of Jesus's empathy, acceptance, love, his ability to see through cowpucky, you know what I mean? (laughs) He sees through all of that. He knows the heart of the situation. He addresses the situation at its core. He is, he is the man (laughs) and the God. Okay. So, I want to talk about four observations we can make about the way that Jesus reacts in this situation. So, number one, 
And hey, I worked really hard on these principles. They all start with the letter P. I'm just saying. I'm trying to up my preaching game. So, no, <laughs> number one, Jesus practices patience. In verse six, he says, well, the Bible says, this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Jesus doesn't feel the need to immediately react. He takes time to read the situation before responding. And we're, we're talking about, in this scripture, we're talking about he is, he is preaching. Imagine your pastor is preaching on a Sunday morning. And in the middle of the service, this group of men drags a naked woman up to the front and says, should we kill her? The law of Moses says we should kill her. Should we kill her? Can you imagine? Everyone around is like, what is he going to do? <laughs> right? What is it? Can you imagine the panic and the... <gasps> and they are, they're trying to trap Jesus. If he says, yes, kill her, that doesn't look good to his followers who are learning this new law of love that he's been preaching. But also if he says, no, don't kill her, well, then he's going against the law of Moses, right? So there's a, there's a lot going on in this scripture. You might feel that same sense of panic when someone comes to you and says, I've experienced sexual assault. Whether they're saying this has happened recently and I'm letting you know, or whether they're saying, I just realized I've been dealing with this for 30 years and I need to tell someone, and they've chosen you. Amazing. Amazing opportunity to show Jesus to show love. So Jesus takes the time to read the situation before responding. Victims need someone to listen and grieve with them. They don't need someone to try and point blame, defend the other party, or explain why this has happened. They are telling you one of maybe the most painful thing that's ever happened to them. They don't need you to say, what were you doing there so late? <laughs> they don't need you to say, when was this? 30 years ago? This is still bothering you? Maybe go read about forgiveness and come back. <laughs> right? It's also important to note in this verse that Jesus already knows what happened. We are not that omniscient. Perhaps the best way to say it, we're not omniscient, period. <laughs> we don't know the hearts of people. We can't sift through. Jesus doesn't even have to sift through. He just knows. It is important when someone is telling us that this has happened, we investigate before passing judgment. Too often what happens is someone comes forward and says, here's what happened to me. And we try to rationalize it. Right? Well, it happened because you were wearing what? Or it happened because you were out late. It happened because you weren't paying attention. Maybe you weren't clear enough about what you wanted or didn't want, right? In this moment, what, what the speaker needs to hear is, I am sorry that happened to you. 
We're not there to litigate. We're not there to pass judgment. We are there to listen, to grieve, to empathize. We don't want to be like the Pharisees who, as you may have noticed, only dragged the woman in front of Jesus, right? They were not looking for justice. They wanted to trap Jesus because they wanted to kill him. (laughs) They wanted him arrested. This had nothing to do even with the woman. Um, And spoiler alert for any single people in here, it does take two to tango. (laughs) Know what I mean? And yet only one person is brought before him. You think maybe it's a possibility that she could have been adulterous in their eyes, but maybe something, it wasn't necessarily what she wanted to do? You know what I mean? We really I do. Don't, we really don't know that she was doing this because she wanted to. Yeah, we don't know. Same with us as listeners. We don't know. So this is not the time to react in your grounded parenting mode. We listen, we empathize. Jesus doesn't get dragged into the drama here. He practices patience to understand the situation. So number two, Jesus protects the woman. Verses 7 through 10, I love it. This was like a recent revelation to me. So he's down on the ground. And they are just bugging him. I think of it as my kids when they're like, Mom, 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 Mom. And I'm like, do you not see me sleeping in bed? Like, it's 5.30, go away. So Jesus is on the ground. They're continuing to ask him, hey, what are you going to do? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? And it says in verse 7, he stood up and said to them, Jesus stands up to this group of men who have, I mean, they are considered people over this woman. You see what I'm saying? This woman has very little humanity at this type of, in this time. And Jesus chooses to stand up to them and say, stop it. (laughs) This is an integral part of advocacy. Likely, The woman that you're talking to has been told over and over that this was her fault, or she somehow caused it, or she could have prevented it, right, if she practiced certain um, common sense things that, also spoiler alert, are not so common sense to all people. Defending her honor to her accusers will move mountains when it comes to her healing. We should, and I'm taught, I... I'm not talking, you just rush out and make an accusation. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about even just standing up and saying, what you're telling me matters. I am going to do something about this. Whether that is going to your pastor and saying, this has come to my attention. Whether you're the head person and you need to have a conversation with the other party. But you are making it clear, we're not just going to sweep this under the rug. This is not something for you to just deal with. We are going to act on your behalf. So he protects her. Speaking up about sexual assault is an incredibly brave 
and vulnerable thing to do. However she's acting, if she's like, oh yeah, this happened to me, it's no big deal. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it is brave and it is vulnerable to put yourself out there, especially in kind of the culture that we live in, which is this, you probably did something to cause this, right? They're opening themselves up to further hurt. We need to honor that bravery by providing safety and security before anything else. This is not the moment to preach, to try to correct behavior, anything. Jesus here stands up to this group and disperses them. Hey, anybody here who hasn't sinned, you can go ahead and cast the first stone. And they all leave. And the beautiful thing there is once they leave, he's the one to say to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? He is bringing this to her attention. They're gone. I've re- this is a safe place for you and me to have a conversation. He's doing what is necessary to set it up for number three. And the third one is Jesus prioritizes the spiritual needs of the woman. So he gets rid of the crowd. He gets rid of the Pharisees, the people that dragged her, dragged her in front of him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. He is restoring relationship. He is meeting her spiritual needs before correction, before repentance, before anything else. He's letting her know, I am here for you. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm not condemning you. I am here for you. Before any kind of correction can be made, relationship with the Lord needs to be restored. Like we just said, we don't know if this woman committed adultery or not. We know that Jesus knew. But Jesus's priority still is to make sure that she understands that she is loved and accepted. Despite what has happened to her, despite the accusations being being made against her, she is loved and she is accepted. So in this situation where it's like maybe she does have an aspect, maybe there is a sin aspect, maybe there isn't, if God is still prioritizing her spiritual needs, how much more is it his priority when no sin has been committed? When it's just a black and white matter of right and wrong. He prioritizes the spiritual needs. Sexual assault victims carry an incredible amount of guilt and shame. It is across the board. It is the first thing that floods in after the assault. A lot of studies have shown that within minutes, women are blaming themselves for what happened. And this leads to a skewed understanding of the love and goodness of God. If you can think of a time when God disappointed you and how hard it was to kind of get over that and remember that he's good. Imagine how hard that is for someone who has experienced childhood sexual abuse or an assault 
And they've walked away thinking, God either caused this or planned it for me. The one thing I know is that he sure didn't stop it. So we have got to be sensitive about that. They need to hear that they are loved and valued by God, that this was not his plan for them, that he is not angry with them, but he is very angry about what happened to them. Assigning blame or refusing to acknowledge the assault, like we talked about earlier, plays right into the devil's plan to keep this person separate from God. If he can, if he can create something to happen in this person's life that separates them from God, while at the same time God is the only one who can heal them, then the devil has won twice. And we don't want to be on that side of things. We want to be the first responders that staunch the bleeding, right? Hey, I bet you're really confused about what God thinks or where God was. And that might be a long road, but I can tell you he loves you and he is here and we are going to figure this out together. But he didn't cause this. He doesn't want this for you. And he is not going to leave you over it. So this can seem really complicated. Um, this idea of prioritizing the spiritual need over, over addressing sin. You see what I'm saying? Because a lot of times we get into fix-it mode, and we're, we're like, well, if you weren't getting into sexual situations, this wouldn't happen, Right? But what might look like willful, sinful behavior to you could just be a coping mechanism that this woman has developed over time in order to deal with what has happened to her. If we focus in on the sin, if Jesus, before restoring, relation, before restoring relationship with this woman, was like, stop sleeping with men, and then vamoosed, she's still got that wound in her. We sin for a reason. It might not be a good reason, but generally, if you follow the thought process, you've got reasons for why you behave the way you do. If we want to truly stop those behaviors, we've got to recognize the thought process that's leading us to those behaviors and correct the thought with scriptural truth. That's how we stop coping mechanisms. That's how we stop habitual sin, cyclical behavior, and you can only do that with the power of Christ and the love of God. Amen. So if we try, if we're just harping on this, you got to stop this, you got to stop this behavior without <laughs> teaching them how to access God for the power to deal with why they're doing that, they're just going to find another behavior. So we've got we've got to reconnect them to Jesus. And we can't do it through get your behavior right and then go to Jesus. It's no, right now. You are allowed to talk to him. He wants to talk to you right now. There is no cleanup necessary. So that's Jesus prioritizes the spiritual needs. And the last thing he does is Jesus parents the woman. In verse 11, 
He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. He does address the sin. And this is one of the tough topics with victims is eventually, and I, keep, I know I keep using the word victim. I know there's like, what should we call it overcoming or whatever, but I'm talking about people who haven't, they have not started to deal with any of this yet. I completely forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I was thinking about something else. Okay, neither do I condemn you going from sin. Oh, victimhood is not a get out of jail free card to just live the way you want to live because something really painful happened to you. Trauma is not an excuse for sin. However, God understands where the sin is coming from. He wants to come alongside you and help you. He is not up there going, mm, mm, mm. Again with the eating disorder. Are you ever going to deal with the actual wound? He's never like that. Seriously, it's been six years. Are you going to give this up eventually? Or don't come talk to me until you've stopped this behavior. Right? That is not Jesus. My six and a half year old right now, he's just discovered lying. It is his new favorite pastime. Oh yeah. Oh, I was so hurt when he, I was like, you lied to my face. I was like so shocked. He's just this little boy. And I was like, oh, wow, he is dastardly. Okay. And so we're working with, we're working with him on this. I have never had a conversation with him of Oliver. If you lie to me one more time, we're done. Right? Or, hey, you can come back into this house when you've stopped lying. No way! Now, we are making him do lines. That's what he's doing right now. Yes, sir, I, I must not tell lies. Um, don't out me if you know what that's from. So, <laughs> he is writing lines, but we are coming alongside him. We do not approve of this. But I get it. You don't want to get in trouble. Of course you're going to lie about it. But cut it out. It hurts mommy's feelings. <laughs> Mommy wants to think good thoughts towards you and trust you. Jesus does address the woman's sin, but he does it from a place of love and restored relationship. He does not do it out of fear. He does not do it out of frustration or expediency. You know what? This seems like a really messy situation. Uh, how about you just deal with your junk and, uh, and, and I'll pray for you, right? Jesus parents her. He tells her how to live. And what's not included in this is that we know he is going to help her. We have the Holy Spirit who can help us. He never leaves us. So as we are dealing with this, as we are needing second, eighth, one billionth chances, he is there to help us. He knows we are trying. And I'm not talking about habitual, ah, grace, blah, blah. I mean, when we are truly trying and just can't get it right yet, God is not frustrated. He is waiting for us to ask him for help. 
So those are our four things. He practices patience. He protects the woman. He prioritizes the spiritual needs. And he parents the woman. Psalm 46, and you don't have to go there. I'm just kind of quoting it. But it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of need. Healing from sexual assault can be a messy, sad, difficult process, but that does not scare God. And it shouldn't scare us. It doesn't have to scare us. We can be that refuge and strength and ever-present help for vulnerable women around us. Like Jesus. Um, wow, I actually did that on time. Yeah. Talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. I have some handouts for you before we do the Q&A. Um, I am a reader. It is literally my only hobby. It's so sad. <laughs> So I made a list of book recommendations. If you guys just want to pass these around. So these are book recommendations for, um, for victims and also people that just want to learn advocate, advocacy. Um, it helps to know where we're coming from. Um, this one, so the, the other thing I have, they are actually two. I have, this is going to sound so millennial. I'm not, but... Um, I have a blog, <laughs> but it's where I write for um, just about the healing process, what can help us on the way, yada, yada, yada. Um, this one, The God Who Saw, is a, it's, we look at the scripture of the rape of Tamar um, and what we can learn about God's um, God's heart for victims in that in that situation. It's a really good one for people who are having trouble understanding the goodness and the love of God after ex- experiencing something like sexual assault. Where is God in all of this? Um, and then this other one, this is a longer description of why we need to prioritize spiritual needs. It's called the stair step stair stepper of sin management. Um, and it is a, it's, it's just kind of a deeper explanation of why can't we just always go after the behavior? Um, why is it important that we are pursuing true healing and reconnection with the Lord over just fixing ourselves or stopping habits? 